0: Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to DFS pregame Game Show. Uh, here on Roto Grinders, I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender and Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter and joined as always on Mondays, it's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, co author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15 hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at TheoryOfDFS.com. As you make your way in, give me those thummy thumbs in the chat. I see you guys in the YouTube chat. Joe Mac, Frederick Dude, Suki Singh, Quinn Williams. Good morning. Good morning. Not the greatest of mornings for me. Uh didn't uh, lost money yesterday, even though uh, primarily because my my cash lineup just like, yes, I'm on the train and it splits in double ups. And yeah, $25 double up is not supposed to pay 14 bucks. Like. That that probably shouldn't happen, but when you're like towards the last place pay up plots and you're tied 86 ways, that's what's gonna end up happening. Uh, because I thought yesterday in, in draft on both sides, the cash builds were kind of straightforward. I mean, there were some slight deviations. I think there were two main lineups on DraftKings, maybe three or four on FanDuel that were mostly two V2s. Uh, but COVID. Has definitely uh, this past week, James, kind of made that there were there were a lot of gimmies, right? Yeah, yeah, I thought that last this last
1: slate there were at least like five players probably in cash. That I I mean, like the pricing was just so boofed on this slate. Antonio Brown at 4,900 was maybe the worst pricing that we've seen on a wide receiver in – I can't even remember the last wide receiver that was that badly priced. Um, Justin Jackson at 4,200, I projected him a little bit lower than the industry, but he was still, like, in cash games, very obvious. Ronald Jones in cash games, very obvious. Cooper Cup.
0: That's not obvious. I think that was obvious. Well, I, think I, I, th- I, th- I think, I think you played three of four of these running backs, James Robinson, Justin Jackson, Ronald Jones, Alexander Madison. Yeah. yeah. Like now if you went up from like going up for Madison means you probably played Josh Palmer in your second wide receiver slot. Yeah. Right. So like that, that's, that's like, so like whether or not Alexander Madison replaced Robinson or replaced Jones, that was okay. Uh, I, I think that the way that we saw the slate, and
1: based on ownership, based on the way that I build, Ronald Jones was considerably better than James Robinson. The three running backs that I saw for cash were Justin, were Justin Jackson, Ronald Jones, and Alexander Madison.
0: Well, that's a, that. You would be against the trend because James Robinson in my in my high stakes double ups eighty five percent owned. Yeah, he was really really owned. I was surprised he was so home. So owned. I truthfully didn't want to play the Josh Palmer build. I was going to play. I was going to play a build with actually Tyreek Hill. Uh, that that would have been a disaster. Um, <laughs> but, but I get it. I understand why you would have. Well, just uh, you could play Ronald Jones. You could play James Robinson. You could play Justin Jackson. You could go down for Jalen Hurts. You could go down for like Cole Komet or something at tight end. No, you could have. You could have gone all the way down to Josh Johnson. That's why I, I, that I was. I wasn't was going to. I wasn't going to play Josh Johnson. There was, was no way 4K. I was going to play Josh Johnson. With
1: cash. He's four K with rushing upside.
0: Right, I ended up playing Stafford. That didn't it didn't work out all that well. Stafford was was another guy that you could use. Right, for. but Cooper Cup. I mean, I, t- you you were making builds that looked something like that. You were playing it yeah. either a cheap tight end. You were paying up for Gronkowski, who didn't do much either. Uh you could have played Pete and Allen instead of Tyreek Hill in the mm-hmm. second pay up wide receiver spot. I get it. Uh but I mean, it was a very small select group.
1: There were um, maybe fifteen players, players you could have picked
0: from for cash, right? And on so, FanDuel, like, like Alexander Madison was fifty five hundred, like, right? It's just a lot. Right, Ronald Jones was fifty four hundred. Justin Jackson was fifty. I mean, like three running back builds, and then you just pay up three times at wide receiver, depending on who you paid up for, and depending on what quarterback, what tight end. I thankfully played Kyle Pitts over Goddard and Gronkowski. And then whether or not you played the Falcons defense, the Bengals defense, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, determining, I mean, that, that was the two V two to determine your, your sleep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There were a lot of gimmies. I, I, and I think that in cash games, especially, it actually is kind of hard when there are that many good plays. Like I say it kind of frequently in NBA where, I've been so annoyed with COVID and NBA, not because I think that it's like especially hard to project, because I think that my models do very, very well when there's that much uncertainty. The problem is when you have legitimately 50 players to pick from that are like all good plays, like at, like all 50 of those players are able to produce plus EV lineups and, and good results. I think that it makes it so that there's actually less skill involved in building lineups. Sure. You can like say that because you only have those 50 players to pick from, like anybody picking outside of those 50 players is making a mistake. But when you widen the pool that much, the variance within those 50 players, it's just like, okay, well, you built a good lineup because you used some players within that 50 player pool, but What one of those 50 players ends up being the one that breaks the slate and they're all 20 plus percent owned. It ends up making it. So I feel like variance takes over more on slates like that than on slates where there is little uh, good plays and a lot of fringe plays. Um, I felt that way about this, this NFL slate. There were so many good plays that it made it kind of difficult to say, okay, well, did you make a bad decision or did you just end up getting variants on the other side of things? I I felt like
0: that was this one. I felt like this NFL slate was a lot like that. Well, I think in cash games, it was more of a prove it. Like if you play low stakes stuff, like, I mean, it, it, you shouldn't be, I mean, you shouldn't be playing guys like no matter if if you people, I mean, I'm playing a head to head when someone's playing Clyde Edwards Hilaire in cash. And I'm like, like, why, why him? Right. Or, or like uh, not playing Braxton Berrios, which was OK, but I'm like I'm looking through some of some of these head to heads, no matter if I won or lost mm-hmm. and going, well, if, if I'm playing, against too many people. that's like let's either this lineup or that lineup. Yeah. Then, then I understand. But I, I got on board the train uh, in cash games. I the reason why I played the Josh Palmer build is because I knew Josh Palmer was going to be a million percent owned. That's very similar to last week with Gabe Davis of like I don't want to get burned by the cheap wide receiver the cheap wide receiver that could go off. I have no problem, you know, the the running back situation, I knew Justin Jackson and James Robinson would be the two highest. Then it would come to Ronald Jones and and uh, Alexander Madison, but it's like I don't think I'm going to get bur- I, I Ronald Jones ended up like maybe 30 something percent in cash. So it's like I most of the time you don't get burned by by Ronald Jones. We, we all know his history. Uh, so it's like, like I'd rather not get burned by Gronkowski in the tight end position. Right. With all, with Godwin and Evans out. So I just looked at that and go, what, what is, what is my easiest path to not making a mistake? Right. Gronkowski puts up 22 and Cole Komet puts up four. I'm dead. Yeah. Right. Josh Palmer puts up 18. And you know Tyreek Hill puts up four or whatever, I'm dead. Yeah, right. Like, like, but that's that's a, that's a cash game type of mentality. But but in GPPs, uh, I mean Antonio Brown. Have you? I mean Antonio Brown and Cooper Cup on this slate for wide receivers have the highest ownership I've seen this entire season. I. I mean I, I mean I, in, in in the in the in the millie. Yeah. So like in the Wildcat, Cup is 58, Brown 52, but in the Millie, they're both 52, play action 47 and 48. It's like to have half the lineups have a receive have one of these two receivers and have like 20% to 25% of the lineups have both in yeah. the same lineup. To me, I found that was that that was that was the path to getting different. By so- by not pl- either only playing Brown, like with Brady or at least in like a secondary correlation with someone like DJ Moore. Sure. And then like Cooper Cup only with Stafford or, uh, I play, I played a bunch of, uh, Odell Beckham jr. Sure. As, as leverage off of that. And then just instead of playing cup, you play Tyreek Hill, you play Justin Jefferson, you play another high end wide receiver and, hope that cooper cup just has an average game yeah. which i mean he had 24 points which is you know that's pretty good right it's still pretty good but it didn't it didn't kill you right and then at running back like i was i was rotating in those four running backs and and knocking in i my my running back james my running back choices i i got so many things right and still so many things wrong like too many, too many. I got the hard parts right. I got the easy parts wrong. Right. I, that was okay. So I got the pivots. I nailed them. Right. I, but that's it. I nailed, all nailed all the pivots. The pivots but man. the main got the main people that didn't, when I have Tyreek Hill in half my lineups, I'm like, like, I, really? You're, you're the one that ruined it? When I have Gronk in my lineups sitting there at three points going, you're the you're the one. I'm sitting there. I'm I'm showing here, here. I'm pulling up my lineups Uh, like I have a T Higgins one off. I've Isaiah McKenzie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I got. OK, let's go down here. Damien Harris. Right. Damien Harris and Isaiah McKenzie across like an Allen Diggs McKenzie lineup with Damien Harris. Like look at the ownership of that. It's so hot, man. That's right. So right. Uh, then then I go down over here. Rex Burkhead. Right. You play Rex Burkhead across from another from a charger. Right. I got T Higgins one off here. I got OBJ. I got Madison, Ronald Jones. And I go to the next one. Oh, Joe Mixon. Oh, here's here's a Mahomes Pringle Hill lineup. So Kyle good. Pitts one off. Nico Collins. Joe Mixon, 31 points. I'm sitting there going, going, OK, I got that. I got Burkhead. I got I got the, you know, Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup back over here. I mean, I got, I got, obviously I got James Robinson in a couple of lineups that obviously, you know, he got injured in one point. I played Braxton Berrios across from him in a couple of lineups like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, even Zay Jones got me 11 points. I didn't even realize that. Okay. Pretty good. Right. So Looking through, I mean, looking through all this, it feels like, it's like, oh, I got like I take a look at this lineup, it's like okay, I got Brady, I got Higgins, Brown, McKenzie, Justin Jackson. It's like then it's like where's Brady, Gronk, Hill. It's like dude, and I scored 190, and the winning score in the millie was like 270 or something. And so, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I had like flaming lineups going into the into the late slate, and as long as the as long as Tyree Hill could could do something, that would Anything. that would two for nineteen didn't. Didn't really do it, but I mean all these pivots, but it's not like I pivoted and it's just like, okay, I'm not going to play Jackson. I'm not going to play like those four running backs. It's not like it's like, no, I'm going to fade them all and then play two others. It's like, no, I just rotate them in. Yeah. Right? Right. Justin Jackson, Damien Harris. Here's Madison Burkhead Jones, Mixon Jackson, Jacobs Burkhead. Okay, this one's a, this one's a contrary one. Jacobs Burkhead, but I have Palmer and Cup in there, so that's Probably the reason why I chose. And yeah, look, Cup and Brown is in this lineup. Yeah. Right. So and Palmer as a cheap, you know, chalky punt. So it's like, OK, now I just got to get a Jacobs-Burkhead there. Yeah. Right. Burkhead-Jones. Right. So, I mean, w- were that similar to your pivots? So for, first off, with the with the cash game lineup,
1: um, I just wanted to note, I, I would have played Justin Jackson, Ronald Jones, and James Robinson and not... Alexander Madison had I played cash, but okay. only because it would have gotten me Cooper Cup, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, Rob Gorkowski, which were all super. Yeah, it would have been worse than my lineup,
0: even. Right, right. Because right. right, Keenan
1: Allen did garbage, also. Right. So we'll talk about that with my GVP lineup. Uh, I only did one lineup this week. Um, I had regged my regular three lineups into the power sweep. And as I was like looking at the slate and as I was building projections, because I build projections Sunday morning, I usually build them Saturday morning, but because we had Saturday slate and it was Christmas and I was just exhausted. We've projected 90 slates of NFL over the last week and a half, and I was tired. So I I projected Sunday morning instead. And as I'm building out projections and as I'm looking at them and I'm like trying to build my lineups and I'm looking at lineups and I'm like, I don't think I can build three lineups here because they're all going to be the same lineup with a different quarterback. Like I I just, maybe I'm going to swap it running back a little bit. Maybe I'm going to have Cooper cup instead of Keenan Allen, but like, I'm not getting off Antonio Brown. I'm not getting off Joshua Palmer. Um, I'm probably not getting off Gronkowski. Like there were a couple teams, the chargers, the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Rams that I thought were like a step above the rest. And then I had the Bills as a contrarian stack. The Bills were actually my top stack, but I wanted to go after the teams that I thought had uh, higher totals. The Bills only had like a 22 team total, whereas the Chargers and the Bucks had 27, 28. So I thought there were like three teams that made a lot of sense.
0: And, and, and just just to, just to highlight, uh, the, the teams that I played were the Rams. Yeah. I, I played I played Stafford. Brady, Herbert, Allen, and Mahomes. There you go. Yeah. Right. You, know, I, you mentioned the Chiefs. I played the Chiefs. Right. Definitely. So like, like, uh, and I was thinking about Cousins and Ryan. Uh the, the funny part is on the on the advanced sports analytics show, I said uh the the game that I had as a plus that could go over, uh lower uh, compared to ownership. At the time on Thursday, yeah, was uh Cincinnati Baltimore. Yeah, people and but I was going under the assumption. I just want to highlight, I just want to point out, I was going under the assumption Lamar Jackson or Tyler Hunter. Right. Huntley right. was gonna was gonna be right. starting. So I was like, if if Lamar is back, like yeah, but I don't even mind Huntley. And then once once that came down, and then ownership moved, and I saw Burrow was over then I'm like. Burrows is over on Chase is over on Higgins is a little too Higgins is fine. And then it's like, okay, well I'll, I'll play more mixing. I like mixing. Yeah. I played, probably. you know, Higgins is a one-off, but like not a game. Side. I didn't like anyone on the Raven side. So like, that was the main reason, like had Lamar Jackson or Huntley started, mm-hmm. I probably would have had, and I probably would have done it from the Raven side anyway. I would have done a Lamar Andrews Higgins type of lineup uh, instead, but it's just kind of weird that I'm like, you know, I I'm targeting this game, but I'm not even sure that that if that would have happened, that the if the ownership would have went that way anyway, I would have gotten off it. I mean, like like right. Josh Allen was three percent don't like the build stack, it, it was, was so crazy. silly. And and why is Brady, like? How is Antonio Brown fifty percent? And Gronkowski <laughs> being being seventeen percent. And Brady only being 6%. I,
1: I saw the ownerships at lock on – Here here's my lineup. I, I had Tom Brady, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. I did not have a bring back from Caroline. I didn't think bring backs were necessary on any of the top stacks. Okay. And then I had Keenan Allen and Joshua Palmer because that, that target tree is super skinny. I don't mind having both of them even without Herbert. This goes back okay, to – Okay, you didn't many. play Jackson? Uh, I did not play Jackson specifically, and and I'll talk about that here in a second, but specifically because I had Keenan Allen and Joshua Palmer, I didn't want to have Justin Jackson at the same time because of the leverage that having Keenan Allen and Palmer would have had over the run. On Justin Jackson. So I did actually have a 2v2 late that I was deciding on between Keenan Allen and the Chiefs defense and Cooper Cup and the Falcons defense. Now... Who'd you have a running back in that one? So running back, I nailed the pivots. Just Joe Mixon and Damian Harris. Nailed the pivots. I mean, I could not have been better with the pivots at running back. You should back. have played Burkhead. I, I didn't mind Burkhead. And actually – Burkhead had goes
0: had, along with your chargers. Right.
1: So I had Tom Brady, Joe Mixon, Damian Harris, Keenan Allen, Antonio Brown, Joshua Palmer, Rob Gronkowski, Emmanuel Sanders, and the Chiefs defense. Uh, you didn't go with
0: McKenzie. I did not because McKenzie, why he was going to so yeah, play the slot. So that's the only spot. reason that I play. I'm like, like, all like, these mind. guys out, like, who's going to play the slot? It's not going to be Sanders. It's not going to be Diggs. So, right. like, who's and the Patriots, the way that the Patriots play is that between the 20s, they let you do whatever the hell you want, sure. especially in the middle of the field. So it's like, like, give me whoever's the slot receiver on the Bills. And I'm like, probably McKenzie. Yeah. And it makes me not have to play Palmer or anyone down there and it's like okay and then yeah. I can play Damien Harris in those lineups and play the little secondary college.
1: McKenzie was fine. I thought that McKenzie I I thought that Diggs was probably the most underowned wide receiver on the slate. He had the most leverage for me in my models. I projected him like god.
0: Uh I liked Sanders. What did you have him projected? What was just what was what was his number? It's like 22 or something. Oh, no, that's way off. Come on. 22? It was high. Yeah. I told you I, I, I got him at off. 17.
1: Because the Bills are so pass-heavy, not only between the 20s, but also uh, in the red zone. So they have one of the highest adjusted pass rates. It's above 70% in both. So when you take away Gabriel Davis and when you take away Cole Beasley,
0: it's like – that. Did you just give him like a 32% target share?
1: I think I gave him a 28-25. It was high, but like Diggs is still –
0: he's one of the highest upside wide receivers. If I I had him him at 22, I would have had him in like all my lineups. Yeah, I thought that he He would have projected more. I had Tyreek Hill at 22.
1: Yeah, he projected really, really well for me, but I couldn't afford him. I did actually want to try to get to him, but I couldn't get to him. Um, But regardless, like the way that I went about it with that Keenan Allen and Chiefs split, uh, it was either Keenan Allen and the Chiefs or Cooper Cup and the Falcons, but – if I get off of Keenan Allen, I just leave Josh Palmer there, then there's no reason to fade Justin Jackson on the assumption that they're going to get there through the passing game rather than the running game. Little did I know that Justin Jackson would be used better than Austin Eckler has been used all year, be the leading wide receiver for the, for the Chargers and the leading rusher, and have two red zone touchdowns.
0: It, he just ran. And the, the Chargers top. would lose to the Decks.
1: And they would <laughs> lose. They were, they were in the script that I played for for God's sakes. Uh, But I I mean, I nailed the pivots. I had, I had Damian Harris as the best running back on the slate. He ended up crushing. I had Joe Mixon very, very well for a lot of the same thoughts that you did with that Bengals and Baltimore game. Whereas if Lamar Jackson is in, I don't like Joe Mixon as much. And I like the passing game for Cincinnati more, but because they had a third string quarterback and they are decimated and Cincinnati are decent home favorites, and Joe Mixon is gonna be way underowned. It's like, how am I not gonna play Joe Mixon here? When when they're in this script, he gets 25 rushing attempts and like all of the red zone work, and he's gonna be underowned. So right, you know, he was it was about seven percent owned, yeah. Incredibly low-owned, but but that's what you're gonna get when you have Alexander Madison and Ronald Jones, James Robinson, and Justin Jackson. Like the way that people were going to play this slate was going to be likely either paying down at running back or playing Alexander Madison. So the direct leverage that I got on Joe Mixon was incredible. And I liked Alexander Madison as well. I I didn't mind Alexander Madison over uh, somebody like Damian Harris or um, James Robinson. Like I liked the lineup that I built. And then when I see the ownerships and it's like, okay, yeah. Keenan Allen 21, Antonio Brown at 53, I thought was probably a little bit under owned. I think he, I think no, I that he can't he be under,
0: not for a receiver. 50%. I thought he was going to come
1: in. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I mean, under owned according to what I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be like 60, 65%. Oh out. no. I thought he would be like 40, oh, 35, 49 hundred 40. with nobody there. Tom Brady having the year that he's having. I, I, I thought he was going to be higher, but 52. I wasn't surprised by that. Joshua Palmer at 25%. Okay. And then I see Tom Brady at 6%. And I'm like, what? Well, what did people do? If, they played Brown as a one-off, obviously. And, and then Joe Mixon at 7%, Damian Harris at 3%. And I was like, I love these ownerships. And I loved the ownerships all the way up until Tom Brady was terrible. Uh, and I was two points away from the cash line, and the Chiefs defense was doing well, and I needed, like, one more interception to get there, and I did. So, uh, like I said, nailed the pivots. Absolutely crushed the game theory. Got the Sklansky Bucks. Uh, did not get any actual real money from the slate.
0: I mean, I, I mean, I just didn't have them all together in the same lineup. I mean, that's that, that. really, that's really what it came down to. Well, and this slate. I mean, and also, and also, like, like I didn't have Joe Burrow, so like you're dead. Like you, you weren't right. winning. Right, well,
1: and th- there wasn't a stack that I would have played that would have done well. There's wasn't like the the Chargers. Uh, ended up not doing very well with Herbert. I think he, he put up what like
0: 15 or something like that, 16. No, Herbert put up 21. Oh, did okay. He had an okay slate. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I mean depend no one that you paired him with other than right. Jackson. I mean, Palmer got me 15 points is whatever the hell, but I mean right. But like I would have paired
1: him with Keenan Allen, and Joshua Palmer. Uh Tom Brady stack, like pairing it Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski. Like that was the stack that I'm gonna make.
0: Right. Uh
1: the Rams, I would have gone Cooper Cup and OBJ and and like and these teams, you know, you focus on the teams that have the high team totals. And, like, Tampa Bay put up 32. I can't be mad because they, they exceeded their team total. The Rams put up plenty of points. Uh, the Chargers put up plenty of points. The Chiefs like,
0: put up plenty of points. Chiefs put nothing, up plenty of points. Kill. You just can't – you just can't do anything they, better. They, they, we should have gotten the memo that all you had to do is play all of the Bengals and Mark Andrews. Right, together. yeah, all –
1: all I mean, things. all, I mean,
0: dude, dude, this guy threw for over 500 yards. He had three, a hundred that I've never seen three receivers from the same team, from the same team have to get the hundred yard bonus.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Just And yeah. no, no, it's, you played Burrow, you play Burrow, you pair him with, with Jace, Higgins and Boyd, and you play Nixon. Yeah. No, yeah. And then five, you play uh, Andrews five, also. And... So you're, you're playing, you're playing a five plus one.
1: Incredible. Uh, yeah, you, you basically treat it like a showdown slate uh, right. and there you go. That's, that's all that you need to do, but it, it just, it, it wasn't going to happen for me this week. Um, I didn't have Cincinnati projected super well or rated well as a stack because, and, and the main reason for this, it's not that I was just like, Oh yeah, the, the Bengals, like, I, I think they suck. Uh, the Bengals over the last five weeks have been middling in terms of pass rate on the adjusted script. They've been 57% pass overall. Which is pretty low in the league, 61% in the adjusted script. And then in the red zone, Cincinnati has only had a 42% pass rate in the red zone over the last six weeks. And when when that's happening, like they're not going to project for a lot of passing touchdowns because 90 90- the
0: Bengals were up by 20 points to still chucking the ball. I know.
1: I know. And, and then, like, apparently it comes out, they're like, oh, well, we knew that Burrow was closing in on, on 400, 500 yards, so we just kept letting him throw. And it's like, why don't you do that every week then? Right. That's what they should be doing. If you think that he has this capacity to throw for 500 yards, and you're like, oh, well, he's already at 350. Maybe he gets another 150 and a quarter. Just d- d- do that every the week. Ben-
0: the Bengals th- have. Pro- possibly the best receiving core in the league. I, I think the Bucks probably when they're healthy. Yeah. Godwin, Evans, Gronk, and all those guys. But, like, dude, Tyler Boyd is your wide receiver three. He'd be Warriors the wide, be wide receiver one on probably five or six teams in the league. Right? I mean, if he was on the Jets, he'd be the alpha. If he was on the Lions, they'd be Giants. loving him, right? Jaguars. Yeah, the Jaguars,
1: right? It's insane. So yeah, I, uh, you know, when, when things like that happen, I think that not only does it like, I, I mean, uh, Justin over at run the Sims, he posted his, uh, his range Oh Yeah. Out- I saw that. His
0: like a 99.8 percentile outcome or something. Yeah. It's like, Oh, this might've
1: been an outlier. And like, it, it's one of those things where we talk about it all the time of there's only 17 slates in NFL so, like, this is basically that four-home run game from Scooter Gannett back in 2018 where you're just like, he hasn't hit a home run all year. And then he has a four-home touch a four home run game, and you're like, what, what are you going to do? Uh, and it also, I think it highlights what we talk a lot in this industry about how dumb coaches are. And it's like, dude, if you as a coach believe that your quarterback can throw for 150 yards in a quarter in any given game, then how – on God's green earth are you ever not letting
0: him do that yeah why are you running the ball on second and eight
1: like what is your justification for oh yeah well we're just gonna you know slow this game down like no dude if you think that your quarterback can ever in a game throw for 500 yards you just try to do that every game and I don't understand why you would ever do anything else just don't get it
0: and the thing about the Bengals is that like Compared to on Thursday, their ownership was twice as much as I had projected. Right on Thursday, I mean, like when I saw when Burrow was going off, and I'm like, okay, was that is that a big deal? Twelve like, percent, yeah, twice the ownership of Brady. Like why is he twelve percent owned? Like Jamar Chase is thirteen. Like I had Chase for like five. I had Higgins for like seven. Mm-hmm. I had Burrow for five. I got Andrews for five to eight or something. And that, that's the main reason why it's like, well, if Lamar is in, like I'll play the Bengals at that ownership. Mm -hmm. And then come Sunday morning, I, I, I aggregate a bunch of stuff. And it's like, like, it's almost more people are playing burrow. And then, and it didn't get up to 12. It got up to like eight, right? Like eight and chase would be nine and Higgins would be 10. Andrews would be 10. And I'm like, like it's over. And and based on my stuff, it was over-owned. So I'm like, I, I don't, I can't, I don't want to play
1: it. I can't blame I you. Me. It. I, I thought that it, it was, uh, it was ETR that ended up talking about Cincinnati, uh, a little bit more. And like they just started to catch steam. And people were like, oh, well, why is Burrow so cheap? And it's like that, you know, I, I, I saw two articles on the uh, on the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers and people saying, oh, well, is it a mistake to, to lock in the Cincinnati Bengals wide receivers? And I'm seeing all this steam and I'm like looking at my stuff. And it's like, dude, when I look at the Vegas baselines that I have built up, Cincinnati was only projected for 1.14 passing touchdowns and 1.57 rushing touchdowns. And I'm like, if people are going to play Cincinnati, this is probably a great slate for me. Little did I know the 500-yard game for burrow was coming.
0: No, well, the thing that I mentioned on Thursday was that they projected, compared to other players on the slate, other stacks on the slate, other team totals on the slate, they projected less from a median perspective. Right. Yeah. But these are two teams that have that have explosive players. So, like, if I'm going to play, uh, to like, like, so I think someone asked me about like Jags Jets, mm-hmm. right? That game. It's like, do you want to target Jags Jets? Why don't you want to target Jags Jets as under owned versus? You know, I get leverage off a of Robinson. You know, why don't you play Marvin Jones or Treadwell or any? I'm like, I look at these two teams. I look at the two quarterbacks. I go, where are the explosive players? Mm-hmm. Where, where Braxton Berrios, twelve for one sixty seven and two touchdowns? Do you see that? No. I, I take a look at the Bengals wide receivers. I take a look at Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. Right? I go. All I need is a broken play. All I need is a big, a couple of big plays, and this game could go way over because it, it contains those type of plays. The 49ers, right? People think of them as a very run heavy team, but it's like with Debo and Ayuk and Kittle, like they decide to pass it a little bit, go a little bit more pass, passing oriented. The 49ers could put up 42 points yeah. today. I mean, but if they decide to shift more towards the running game, look at the Seahawks. Right, we that. Why do you think we? Why do you think we play DK Metcalf, even though Pete Carroll's a schmuck? Quick, uh, right? Metcalf and Lockett. It. It's like, why aren't they throwing the ball forty-five times a game? Quick, we got helped. a receiving core like this.
1: My models liked the Bears over the Seahawks
0: yesterday. That that's the state of affairs with the Seahawks. That the that Darnell Mooney projects better than DK Metcalf because Pete Carroll doesn't want to do anything. Obviously, that game was a little bit different because it was a snow game and the weather mattered. I mean, I mean, it still went over, right. They scored about 49 points total.
1: Yeah. And, and the bears get there like on the last point of the game, but it was so funny. I, I usually I'll try to find like underdogs. And um, like I had Arizona or Buffalo I had over new England, but I mean, that's one point, but then I'm going through and it's like, okay, yeah, the chargers deserve to be 11 point favorites. Tampa Bay probably deserves to be 10 point favorites and then it's oh Chicago over Seattle <laughs> like why is why is that happening
0: but Seattle man Pete Carroll is just terrible man he's so bad Greg Rosenberry says that your mo- that uh, everyone's model in the industry is wrong in the chat because the Ravens defense you have to obviously against their secondary like in your model, obviously, when you compare matchups versus secondary, you have to boost everyone by seven hundred percent, right?
1: Oh yeah, because because all of the defensive players are missing and they're using backups, right? And right,
0: because uh, you would figure that if if that mattered enough, Cincinnati's team total would be thirty eight and not twenty four, right? Uh, and, so also, you, and also, and also, their 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 run rate wouldn't be sixty four percent; it it would be much lower than that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so here is here is the thing with uh, with modeling. And I'll speak to this as as the resident modeller of this uh, of this podcast. Um, Vegas
0: is pretty smart. That's my answer. Betting bet, betting markets are. I don't like sure. I don't like using the term like some like something that says you know oh the bookmakers like no it's the betting markets right it, it, it is the betting the, the closing line the closing lines of NFL games are the most efficient. Numbers. It's not in close. In in all of in all of anything, anything related to DFS or sports betting or anything like this, the closing lines of NFL, the R squared of that is the highest of any you can't get there's nothing that correlates better. And the reason for that is
1: because of volume, because there are so many people betting that you get much, much better volume and get much more fine, granular detail on the models for NFL. It actually goes, NFL is the top. It's, it's the most secure. And then you go down to NBA. NBA is next. And then big drop off, huge drop off down to NHL and then baseball and then soccer. And that's a, there's a reason why whenever we look at spreads, like betting the spread in NHL or MLB, I think is one of the most profitable things that you can do because it is always 1.5. I've seen like 2.5 like three times or something because the models are, not only are the models less efficient because there is significantly less volume of people betting on them to refine them, but also because of the variability of event oriented sports make it so that things like that and embracing the volatility, like it makes it so that those models and those lines on games that are not being bet on enough, there's so much edge on those. And I mean, they're juiced usually more, you, you'll usually see like a 20 cent big on it, but uh attacking those, like people think that the NFL is something where it's like, Oh, these lines are, are going to be like significantly off sometimes, like very, very rarely. And and that's why like when I see things like the bears being favored in my model, I'm like, that's really, really silly because I would think that they would not be favored in any situation, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's, uh, it's based on volume. It's based on being refined and especially the the last thing I'll say about it is this late in the season. So in the first four weeks of the season, um, the books are much less confident in their own models. So the books will put together models and they'll have like their, their, their biases and their priors, but they're much less confident in them. So you'll see line changes a lot more earlier in the season. You'll see lines shift like four or five points significantly more often earlier in the season. Whereas now the books are very confident in their models. So even big, but Beth that's even, not, that's nope. That, I'm sorry. I got to cut you off. That's not how it works. That, that, that the owner of the sports book at MGM talked about this last year on their podcast. That That is
0: how it works. No, no, that's not. No, you're, you're being very deceiving Am I? I yeah. I'm just relaying what I've heard on. Heard no, OK, uh, let me let me let me want me to explain. Yeah, sure. Go for it. The sports. But so the sports book comes out with an opening line mm-hmm. based on their whatever way that they originated. Right. OK, their opening line, obviously, with the less amount of sample is going to be more likely to be off. I mean, that's I, it. I'm agreeing 100 percent with what you say. How does the line move from opening to close? Based on what? Based on well, what, what what do books do? Now I, I wanna I want to highlight that most uh most, if not all, retail sports books do not originate their own lines. Sure. Okay, so offshore book books that are known for to taking more sharp action, they'll open so Sunday night. Lines will come out on an offshore book, yeah. at low limits, which means you may not be able to get may, maybe the max is a thousand, maybe. sometimes it's maybe even 500. So once those li- we see a, a football game open up, but the total is 47. And maybe once that line opens, sharp betters. Look, and they look at their models, right? They have their models and everything like that. And they go, this game really should be a 50. Yeah. Like that, the 47 is a bad one. Now, the book, their their model, their primitive version of modeling, right? The originator put 47. Now they're starting to take $500 bets, $1,000 bets, and the over, over, over. Within the next three hours, it goes based on the profiling of the customers, right? Who's who beats the closing line more often than not. They start see- seeing that all their sharp action is coming in over, over, over. So now the line's moving to 47 and a half. Right. Two hours later, three, two hours after that, it's 48, yep. two hours after that, it's forty. Like, like did first off that line, you're not going to be able to get on a retail sports book because it hasn't been posted on a retail sports book yet. Right. Okay. By the time, by the time six hours go by or so, then maybe that 48 and a half gets posted on insert bet MGM, insert DraftKings, insert whatever. Now, maybe the, the the closing line will end up being 50 because that's what it, that the, the the, the best modelers or whatever the, the most amount of action wisdom of crowds will end up making it so now once it gets po- once once the action starts coming in early on the on the limited action the next day like monday morning that offshore sportsbook will now like up the limits on that on the on the spreads or the totals to 2000 or 5000 sure right and then they still they're still getting a, a lot of action on the over so now it's going to 49 it goes to 49 and a half and then all the retail sports books look at that and they go, I don't know what action we're getting, but let's, let's, let's start moving the number here. So they, it gets moved to 49 and a half. And now, now by my Monday, by Monday afternoon, now it's kind of stable, right? Now it's kind of like, now it, it could be 50 it could be. And then throughout the course of the week, like the limits start getting raised. So like by the, it, by the time, Sunday at before game comes around. You want to make a you want to make a hundred thousand dollar bet, like go go ahead. Like the, the sports books will take it. I mean, I'm assuming they haven't profiled you or anything. But like that, the books will originate a line when they have when they have some form of origination. But the reason why the line gets shaped is because of limits. Is right? Because it's like if the line was that off, like this, this is why what I tell people that that uh, sports betting is not complicated. To beat sports betting is not difficult. It's actually extremely easy to beat sports book, to to, to beat, uh, the better way to put it, to beat the betting lines, okay? 99% of your work is not gonna be that. Right. 99% of your work is getting the money down, (laughs) right? Because you could look at an offline all you want and go Sunday night, you know, I used to do, I used to do it for baseball way back in the day. They put the the overnight lines right, and sometimes they'd have the lines out even while the game the day before is going on, right? And you lo- and you take and you you look at it, you you look you, you have a model, right? You're looking through and you go, go, dude, the, the wind's going to be blowing in at like 12 miles an hour tomorrow, and they still have this game as an eight and a half with these two pitchers. Like this game should be like. A seven, seven and a half, or whatever. Like I'm, I'm putting money down, and you know what? You go to put money down, right? And you say I want to put five hundred bucks down. They go, nope, one hundred fifty bucks is the limit. And you go, well, this is an easy, this is an easy bet. I want the under eight and a half on, on the total. One hundred fifty bucks. That's your limit. It's like, okay, now I got to go to another book now. Yeah, right. That has that posted the, the copied line eight and a half, and I go. I want, I want, uh, and they got uh two, two, two is your limit. Okay. I go, let me go to the third no, book. No. Right. Like, okay, well, how much can I, and then, then by the time I go to the third book, it's been an hour and now the line's at eight. Yeah. Right. So then I go to that book. Okay. I want to, I would, and they go, your limit's 500. Right. It's like, I, but I want a bit more. And then, and then I go back to the, to the book that I started with and now it's down to eight. So I'm like, let me see if I, I think this should be seven and a half and they go oh your limit's 500 right so and then the morning comes you've gotten about maybe 1200 down and now the line's seven and a half yep. and now it's like oh do you want to bet on seven and a half your limit's 5000 yeah right like like if yes it's easy to beat it's easy to beat the books for how much and then the the edge on, on the eight and a half bet is maybe 8% Right or something like maybe maybe it's ten percent, and then I got to sum at eight, and so you, you could push a couple. So maybe your total edge on your twelve hundred dollars is six or seven percent of twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, which is what seventy dollars or whatever like that. Like that yeah. and, and then and then on top of that, you have to if you're going to do that at multiple places and multiple games when you find them. Uh, This is especially back in the day. I don't know. It's probably easier, much easier now. Balancing out your money is Mm -hmm. a problem because you'll win some bets and lose some bets. And then next thing you know, you have you have 20 accounts. And then the best line is on on a on a book that you only have you have one hundred and thirty dollars on. And by the time they they approve your 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 deposit, this is back. This is back. This is like two thousand five. So they typically approve deposits. So you have to wait for someone to manually approve it. So when, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting an hour for it, my, my manual approval, and the line moves. Yeah, and it's like, like, I couldn't get it there because I didn't have. And then I win a bet. Then now, next thing you know, I have five thousand on one account, and I only have a hundred dollars on another account. So you have to, and then you can't withdraw and then deposit in there because for money laundering rules, and then also for the fact that you have to kind of keep your play you know, kind of hidden, right? You shouldn't you shouldn't be middling on the same book. Like for like like it, it's like that's that's a number one flag It's like if you're gonna try to middle the same book, like they can they're gonna they're gonna shut you down. I mean like don't ever, your
1: action so
0: fast. Right. Like where 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 you, you bet you bet early in the week. If you're gonna bet if like in that example if uh, that we said with the, the 47 total that you got early in the week for X amount of money, whatever. It's probably not much. So you get 47 and by the time it closes towards close it's 50. So you want to bet if you bet the over 40 and you bet the under 50 obviously on 48 and 49 you win both bets. On 47 you win one and push the other. At 50 you win one, and push the other. So it's like if you're going to get the 50 and it's the 50 exists across all books don't bet it at the place where you don't bet the under 50 at the place where you, you bet the over 47, right? Cause they're going to look and you go, what the hell, what the hell are you doing? You're betting both sides of the game. Same thing with the money lines, right? On money lines. Cause you can find arbitrage all over the place. Oh, so yeah. As long as you know, when to time everything. So you could bet, you could bet, you know, uh, uh, like in an MMA fight or something like that, the line sucks. Uh, they, they overrated the favor to something like that. And you bet plus one eighty on the underdog, and then by the time that, that it comes around, next thing you know that that uh, you're betting minus one fifteen on the favorite, and you're you're capturing sixty five cents in between. And you, obviously, you could even put it make a little formula so you could even it out, and you could pretty much, and you could guarantee you could essentially guarantee yourself profit. Yeah. You do that at the same book; they're gonna it, it to them. It's like you're just stealing money from them because you are <laughs> well you're not real i mean you're making two bet two valid bets at two different times but they don't really they don't want those types of they don't want oh, those of course types. Not. so your goal no. is to bet it in one place and then bet it in another place and then you then you see what your hold percentage is it's positive and there you go so you could find plenty of situations where your hold is essentially zero when you're betting you could bet minus 115 and plus 115 on two sides of the game i know it, i know this is supposed to be a dfs review show but i at least want to explain some, yeah, uh, no, some this was
1: really really valuable for a lot of people especially because over the next year where more and more states are going to legalize uh sports betting and like mobile sports betting this kind of information
0: is really important right but th- but this is the main reason why like I don't do any sports betting content it, it's very timely. like thi- like this would be the con- like the mm-hmm. explaining how this all works but as far as like 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 dude like it's not that complicated i mean we have grant here we have will here Mm -hmm. brit is good with the props and everything like i mean like it's not that hard i mean i can i could look at the projections on any sport and then overlay them with the with the sportsbooks odds and then calculate my edge and bet accordingly the problem is getting like on props i mean like just getting the money down is, is 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 extremely hard uh and without getting without getting limited and if you want to make beer money it's it's absolute. It, it's one hundred percent doable. It, oh, is, yeah. it is if you if you want to supplement yourself with a, maybe a couple of hundred bucks a month. I mean My. right, it, right. You want to make three hundred, three four hundred bucks a month, yep, on average with with sports betting. Absolutely, I, I that 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 is no issue whatsoever. Obviously, mm-hmm. you need a a bankroll. You had probably near five five thousand dollar bankroll or something like that to start out with. That's no problem, but like, can you make a living off of three or four hundred? Like, no, you, you're not going to be able to. Like, right. so like, either either you step up your game to have to have twenty plus accounts, multiple. You have to do part. You have to have partners. It, it gets it gets it gets so complicated, right? Back back in back in two thousand five, I did it with baseball, made some money, not a lot of money, not in the grand scheme of things, not a lot of money. It's still good money uh but it's, it's, it's just it's just a, that beating the lines isn't the hard part that was the easy part when waiting for the morning i did i did it in baseball you beat you beat the morning you beat the overnight lines you find arbitrage opportunities uh in the morning in the afternoon you know what you you know what books copy what other books you know how they move you know certain you know there there are some books that have dime lines, some books that have 20 cent lines. There are some books that don't move their lines for four hours. So, you know, like, like something that someone is injured in a, I mean, it it happens much quicker now, but it used to be back in 2005 that, you know, so-and-so first that the star first baseman of whatever team, you know, getting a dead that on sports talk radio, the manager says he's getting a day off. Right now this is before twitter and everything so it's like you know that he's getting a day he's getting a day off and the line has not moved yet right and then you go you bang it out you 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 get 500 500 bucks or so down 1000 bucks down and then you wait you wait until nearly close and you almost bet, you bet the other side, you bet the other side, because the line's going to move so much dramatically, obviously in baseball, we're not talking about starting pitchers because obviously if the starting pitcher gets scratched, your bet's going to be voided anyway, uh, because it's required. I mean, you know, I hope people know that, that like if the starting you're making the bet on a baseball game with the intended starting pitcher. Right. So if like Garrett Cole gets scratched, it's going to be a bullpen game. Like your bet's going to just be voided. Uh but that, but that's the whole goal. Like, and then you'd go to the way to the other side. I'd had my little, I have my little Excel spreadsheet that would tell me if I have one side of this bet, how much, and what are the odds on the other side? What do I bet? And how much do I make right in the middle? Right. And then you just, and, and it's, it's rinse and repeat. And you could, you could do 500 on one side. You end up with like 420 on the other side and you guarantee yourself $35. Yep. Like like just bing right there. And that, like it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter which side wins or loses. You're guaranteed $35. The problem is, is that one account will have a thousand plus dollars and the other account will have zero in it. So you need to have enough money across so many accounts. To me, that's sport that that is the art of sports betting. It's not the it's not the what what side of the line do you want? Like, like dude, just get it's like what we say about DFS. It's like just look at the projection.
1: Yep, and I, and I have in my prop betting tool, I have it built in to read from DraftKings Sportsbook. So like, it's so easy to just like, oh, I ran ran models in the morning. Maybe there's going to be this person out. Okay, well, the, the line already likes this person, so I might as well just just take the over on that. And then lo and behold, that person is out later. It's like, okay, oh, cool. Well, now that person is going to be their their pra is it was thirty in the morning. Like the Drew Holiday situation, it was something that Grant just like absolutely took advantage of over the last like two weeks with no Giannis. It's like, OK, well, if Giannis is questionable and Drew has a PRA points, rebounds, assists prop out of like 30 or something in the morning. Right. And Giannis is questionable. Uh, and my model says that he has a PRA of like 34
0: or something. So there's there's a little bit of edge on that. Right. Right. And so, then- so there's a little bit of edge at minus one time. Right, at, at minus 110. If that's it's minus 135, you got nothing.
1: Right, that's why I say a little bit of edge. Assuming a, a negative 110 or a negative 115 or something like that, you have a little bit of edge. And then later, you know, you place your bet, put down 100 bucks on that. And then later, Giannis gets ruled out. And now the PRA is like 46. And you're like, oh, well, pff, take the under on that now. So right. now you have between 30 and 46 where you're going to make money. Like... Most likely, unless he scores, you know, really, really badly, but or really, really well. No, you're guaranteed then, to win at least one of your bets. And you didn't even things out correctly to where you make money on either outcome because you do exactly. still have to measure it out. Right, but right. That, that's the kind of thing where if, if you can make a if you can make a process of that, because my goal in starting in January is I'm going to be trying to make anywhere between five hundred thousand dollars per month on sports betting. That's gonna be something that I challenge myself to. Uh, I have never tried to do it before, so I like taking on challenges, I'm gonna to try to do that. And I, I think that that's feasible with the way that I can build out models. And I, I agree with you that as long as you're paying attention to the closing line values, and as long as you're paying attention to where you're placing your bets, it's not super hard to make a little bit of money sports betting. No, it's
0: it's, it's really not. as That little bit of money, but you know, right. You're, it's, it's, it's not, not a, you're going to quit your job and spend eight to 10 hours a day type of thing right. in order to like, you could do that, but it takes all the, all the other, the getting the money down skills. And
1: you, you have to dedicate to it.
0: Um, another person
1: who I, I think is very, very good at it and pays a lot of attention is uh, Greg Ehrenberg on Twitter. Uh, he works, I think, at AwesomeO. Um, he's really good at the, the season-long kind of stuff with that, where he's very disciplined and very good at understanding where – f- You're talking about futures bet. betting. Yeah, futures betting, yeah, um, where he's very, very good at understanding and paying attention to the way that the, the league and the fans react to certain things, and I, I respect him a lot for that. That's a longer-term game that I think that I would be worse at but that kind of thing too. I think that can pay really good dividends in terms of an investment standpoint. Um, I think that it is harder than betting props, obviously, but it, it's a very interesting thing to pay attention to um, with like coach of the year and MVP and, and futures bets. I, I think that is a good investment strategy as well. If you can pay attention to it and if you can um, be on top of things very, very
0: well. Uh, Sean George asks, so do you think legalized sports betting makes it easier to get the volume down without getting limited. No, harder. No, way harder. Retail, retail sportsbook are not, are not in the bookmaking business. Yeah, they don't care about they're, they're it. The they're in the marketing business. Yeah.
1: So like um, something, let, let me ask you this, Jordan. Um, something that Levitan said uh, before, well, I guess it was earlier in the season uh, because him and the guys over at ETR have been really trying to attack the props and they've been doing a pretty good job. But he said that he wants to place some stupid bets every once in a while to keep the books honest with him. Do you think that that works?
0: No, no. It, it, it Not really. No. Okay. Well, I, what's a stu- what? I don't like, have uh, number one. Number one. If you're going to make stupid bets, the the edge on on sports betting is low as it is. So anything that reduces like. Oh, I'm going to play if I'm going to just put down a $5 18 parlay. Like dude, that's not going to mean much. Sure. Right? Like it really comes it really comes down like if in 2005 it was much harder to profile someone because the tools that the books had were very primitive. Mm-hmm. Right? So, as long as you didn't middle the same book, that as long as you weren't arbing them Essentially, you could get away with anything. They weren't calculating your CLV. They weren't like they they were not none. None of them were doing that. As long as as long as it didn't didn't feel like you it didn't feel like you were manipulating the lines because I, I there were some syndicates that would bet you know, bet uh, ten grand on on one site in order to bet fifty grand on another when the when the line got copied right yeah right and you bet one way and you get the line gets copied and then you bet the five times the amount on the other side because that's the correct way because they'd adjust too much because the, the, the early limits were just pushing it in one direction when it really, it should be in the other direction. Uh, those types of things are, I mean, it's 2021. The tools that the books have now to profile are absurdly good. Oh yeah. So there's your, and the the, the, the the thing is is that it's because the model is broken. I'm talking about the sports betting as a business model is broken. Right. There are some sports books that are in bookmaking operations, right? That they they the the process that I described is is what they do. They originate a line, they allow the market in the beginning with limits to shape the line and then by close they're efficient and yeah. then they 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 open up more, and as they open up the limits, you get more of the dumb money or whatever. And then then they're just getting action. They don't care. Doesn't right. matter. There's no such. There's no need to profile anyone. There's no reason why you, on a one o'clock football game that if you make a bet at twelve fifty eight, you should ever be limited, unless the book has its own max of like you can't more. We don't want to get hit by more than a half a million dollars for by anyone, right? But there's no reason that no matter what how sharp you're profiled that if, if there's a seven point spread in a game and it's up two minutes before the game that you shouldn't be allowed to bet five grand. on I mean, like it's what, what, what is my bet different from this other person's? It doesn't, the line is efficient at this point. there's, there's, There's nothing to be scared of or anything like that, but retail sports books, that's, that's what they're in the business for. They're in the business for, we, we want to attract, uh, the dumb the dumbest people possible for the le- least amount of work. Yeah. Right. Real sports books are like uh in, in the United States, Circa would be one that would be a yeah. that they're, they're a sports book. Everyone else in the United States, all the other books, BetMGM, uh, DraftKings FanDuel, Points Bet Bar whatever, all those other books. Number one. Most of them are like I, I did, Well, DraftKings just changed, but a lot of them are be. So, like, all you're playing is like a skin in a poker, in like like old poker skins in online poker. You're playing with the same platform. It's just a different. It just looks different. Yeah. Right. You go to one it's like it's the same lines. It's the same backing system that's doing everything. The only difference is maybe the promos are different, right? Because it's it's all, all you're all you're paying for is a different shade of paint. And uh, and marketing mm-hmm. right promos. Other than that, it's it's all the same. Now DraftKings has gone to their own technology, so they have they have, they have a slightly different system. They have their own internal system now since they bought SB Tech or they merge with SB Tech. So you may get you get different lines there, but still at the end of the day, uh, most of the, most of the, most sportsbook companies are out are, want to automate, so they because. They're, they're allowed they, look at all the markets that you could bet on. There's, there's a, a million markets and you know, that, that, how many seconds will the rodeo guy fall off his horse? I mean, like they have that type of thing. So how much of a staff do they have to monitor all that? Mm-hmm. They don't, they want to automate it as much as possible. But the problem with automating all of it is that you get domain experts that are much sharper than the books right? And if they, they don't want them to be taken advantage of. So it's like, well, what we can do is either make our system better and give you better lines, or we could just kick out the ones that are too smart for us and just hope that the dumb people bet with us, right? So there's a, there's a way to do it. You can do the line shaping mentality it just involves actually putting thought into your product, if you don't want to put thought into your product and you just want to run commercials all day and people will bet. I mean, James, you know, you know, you know, you know how frustrating it is to see where 95% of people that bet on sports that will bet on a on a spread that they'll bet on a spread at, at minus minus And I'm like, why why aren't you betting minus 110 on that? It's like, well, because I, I bet here. But it's like, what does it matter? Or just like what we said before, when you said that the line, when you said was thirty on holiday by right? yeah. thirty, you had it's thirty currently, and you have th- you have it at thirty four in your yeah. model. And I go at minus one ten. There's a small edge there, but at minus one thirty five, there isn't. Right, right. Minus one thirty five is probably equal to about your about thirty four. Yeah, right. Because you're not you. You have to lay one thirty five to, to 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 get your hundred. If it was plus one hundred, yeah, you'd be great. Yep. Sure. Right. Minus one Oh five or something like that. But people just look at the prop, right? Oh, I, I can't believe this prop is at 36 yards for some receiver or something like that. Like I have him at 50 yards. And I go, yeah, the prop is minus minus one eighty, Right. I mean, like, like you're not, that's not, but I have 14, 14 yards over. Th- yeah. But you're, you're almost laying two to one. <laughs> right. Like, if you calculate that in comparison to your model, that's like betting on him scoring fifty yards, fifty—that's exactly what you have in your model. I, I can give an actual uh, example of that. Hold on. What was the game?
1: Terry McLaurin. And then, like, obviously, I know that we're like running out of time here, but this is a good example. So, Terry McLaurin. Uh, let's say I had him for eighty-two yards last night um if you put in that 82 yards so say the prop is at like 60 right right um and then it is at negative 125 that negative 125 makes it so that you do want to bet the over
0: because yeah well yeah that by far but where's the line where you don't i'm assuming it's something like my like if you have them at 82 and the prop is 60, probably you 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 don't mind betting that up until like maybe minus 220 or something.
1: Right. So here, here's another example. If the prop is at 75, right? Props at 75 receiving yards. I have an 82. At negative 125, we have a 3.96% edge on the open. Okay. If it goes up to negative 135, it's only 2%. Right. And once so it gets lost. up to minus 160, you're dead negative 160 you have a two percent edge on the book so like that like meaning that it's a bad bet meaning that you have lost two percent on that right if you take that over at so it's my minus two percent ev right so that is that's something that not near enough people pay attention to
0: and no they just go no i think he's gonna go over let me bet on it even if i have delay three to two right. right even if it's minus 150 and just like oh, i bet three to win two but i think it's gonna go over
1: Right, because if you look at a receiving projection of 82 on Terry McLaurin, understand that that is the median, the 50th percentile of what you think that he is going to do. So if a book gives you a line of 82 and the big is 100, 100. Right. then that means that you're at the 50th percentile of what the book thinks that he is going to do. So if the book gives you a prop of 75 at negative 160, you're that's that 75 their, is me, their, their median's median is like 84 their median is 84 Right. their median is 84 there's that at 75 that is uh that they're giving him a 61 chance to hit 75 right so think about it that way you're you're not thinking that the only way that you are seeing a line that is a median next to your projection which is a median on a book is if it's at plus one hundred. Otherwise,
0: it's leaning one way or another. So you need to think about that. And that and that's why uh, to close it out when we talk about DFS, like thinking in terms of DFS. If you want to use sportsbook lines in your DFS process you, for for statistical purposes, you use you you take out the vig. So it'd be vig free, right? Right. right? So like, oh, the prop is at seventy five at minus one ten. It's like, well, that really means 76 and a half, right? That, that 77, maybe, like, right? Because the 10% is the VIG. So you want to know the what the sportsbook medians are versus what with the VIG it counts as. And obviously, you have to, in order to know what that VIG is, you'll have to know both sides, both the over and the under. Yeah. What the spread, what the, what the spread is. And that's that's the whole, that's called the whole percent. But this, but James, see, this is the interesting part. This, I enjoy this type of sports betting type of talk. But the thing is, it's, it's all educational. It's not like, well, who do we bet on tonight? It's like, I don't know. Look at the, it's the same thing as what I say in DFS. Look at the projections and and look at the sports books and anything with positive EV, go make a bet. Yeah. Go for it. Do whatever you want. Go, more. go for it. Right. I don't know what that's going to be now. I don't know what books is going to be now. There you go. But that's, but that's the essence of sports bet. Yep. In the Doing same way that in content. DFS. Right. <laughs> but in the same way in DFS, your goal is to do the same thing in a lineup perspective versus ownership, projection versus ownership. Yep. Right? So James, uh, you, you, you have stuff on pay dirt for like, like what you mentioned as far as calculating that stuff, or is that still internal? To
1: you. Oh, no, I, I have these, I have an NFL prop betting tool and an NBA prop betting tool that you can physically do what I just did. Like, oh, it, okay. On the site.
0: Paydirtdfs.com?
1: Yep, paydirtdfs.com. I'll actually make it free for the day for anybody who wants to go take a look and try them out. uh You can put in the same thing that I just did, put in the prop. Like the over on it, put in what the over line for the book is, and you can see what the actual probabilities and EV is. So uh, I have that kind of stuff. I'll have more sports betting tools moving forward as well. I'm going to be trying to do more of that stuff next year over at PaterDFS.com.
0: You can follow James Pater underscore DFS me at BlenderHD. Both of us co-authors of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. You know those? If you, if, if you listen to the sports betting conversation, you're like. Wow, I never thought of sports betting this way. I never like, oh, that's how that's how sports betting works. That's how the books work. This is how you, this is what betting is. It's not like who's a good pledge? Just like, no, you have a model and then you just you just bet on stuff or or you predict line moves. That's there's the steam version of that. That's a that's a whole separate subject. But that's more about knowing how the books work than knowing about the teams. Because you could be a successful sports bettor without knowing anything about sports and without even having a model because all you're doing is profiling how books move their numbers. Uh, but if you want to learn like that type of interesting stuff, the strategy, the game theory of stuff, and when it comes to daily fantasy sports, theoryofdfs.com. How to think like a professional DFS player. It's all the, these same type of concepts apply in DFS. So it's 15 hours long. Me and James talk you through. It all applies to any sport. So go to theoryofdfs.com. Pick it up before the end of the year. Uh, we got uh, NBA Grinders Live coming up later today. I know the, Jason Tatum's out, right? We got, who knows? Who knows who's going to play? I, NBA slate. Do you it's, think, Did James, it's, do you think by the time the NFL season's over, I could play NBA DFS and it won't be like this? No, dude,
1: just play League of Legends. I, like, I'm telling you, man. Just, kidding, just get a sub over my side, just play League. It's
0: it's so much better <laughs> than dealing with this. It comes uh, back maybe, January maybe that is
1: what I'll do. January 9th, dude. So much edge.
0: Uh, but, but, hey, if you're playing NBA tonight, we've got Grinders Live crunch time for premium members. And uh, and uh, I'll, I'll be back. Remember, no show tomorrow. No show Wednesday, because I'm not playing NBA during this crap show. So I'll be back Thursday. Uh, for, for we'll, we'll look at the week uh, 17 in NFL. And answer your DFS strategy questions, as I always do, on the DFS pregame show on roto Grind dot com.